If you don't, you can follow just the reading here this morning, Mark chapter 6, verse 7 through to verse 13. And the title of this morning's message is, When the Staff Fails, Mark chapter 6 and verse 7 through to verse 13. Mark chapter 6, verse, Mark chapter 6, verse 7 through to verse 13. And he called unto him the twelve, and began to send them forth by two and two, and gave them power over unclean spirits, commanded them that they should take nothing for their journey, save a staff only, no scrip, no bread, no money in their purse, but be shod with sandals, and not put on two coats. And he said unto them, In what place soever ye enter into a house, there abide till you depart from that place. And whosoever shall not receive you nor hear you when you depart thence, shake off the dust under your feet for a testimony against them. For I say unto you, it should be more tolerable for Sodom and Gomorrah in the day of judgment than for that city. And they went out and preached that men should repent. And they cast out many devils and anointed with oil many that were sick and healed them. Father, this morning we pray in Jesus' name that you would give help and anoint and speak this morning. Touch our hearts, touch lives. Lord, heal the sick, deliver the oppressed, save the lost. Lord, encourage the saints. Oh God, this morning call. Oh God, may there be a call that goes forth today. Lord, from the heart of God to every heart in this room, bring us into a new place. Lord, I pray in the fresh revelation of Jesus. We ask it all in Jesus' name. Amen. You may take your seats this morning. Praise the Lord. Here reading in Mark chapter 6, this is the very first, as it were, uh, missionary board meeting that's ever been recorded. Jesus was the head, and he still is the head of the Great Commission. There are 12 men that have been called, made themselves available for the mission that he would set before them. It was unique in that it was the first. It was unique that there was the physical presence of Jesus Christ, God himself incarnate in the flesh. It was unique as these men gathered around the feet of the Savior, and he would clearly state to them how this mission, this great commission, would function and what the purpose of the mission would be. It opens by saying that he would give them power over unclean spirits. In verse 8 it says that he commanded them that they would take nothing for their journey, save a staff, no script, no bread, no money in their purse, but just shod with sandals, not even two coats, not even a spur coat. And he said unto them, In whatsoever place you enter into a house, there abide till you depart from that place. He said also to them that whoever would not receive you, that they were to shake the dust from under their feet as a testimony against them. And a very remarkable, quite sobering statement, he said, it shall be more tolerable for Sodom and Gomorrah in the day of judgment than for that city. Their response, of course, to the commission being sent forth was was very simple. The Bible says they went out. The Lord commanded them, instructed them, and then it just simply says here in verse 12 that they went out and they preached that men should repent. They went out and they preached that men should repent. It's so simple, isn't it? And they cast out many devils and they anointed with oil many that were sick and healed them. I think you would agree with me that in this first description and account of this first mission, as it were, I think you would agree with me this morning that in many respects it does not even come close to resemble what we witness today. It seems to be so far away from what the initial board meeting was like. I've been in many board meetings, many mission meetings, involved in many missions over some years now, but 
Often there's exhaustive discussions on finances, materials, issues, resources, discussions about publications, presentations, agendas, and it just goes on. But Jesus just simply said, I'm going to give you power over unclean spirits. I don't want you to take, listen to this, anything, anything for your journey. More and more we have come to the day in which we're into a a social gospel with often just supplying the physical needs. This is not wrong. Or building homes, or building houses, or boring wells, or bringing blankets. That's not wrong. Sending medical supplies and so on. But this first mission was that they were given a supernatural power. A power over all unclean spirits to cast out devils and to anoint the sick that they would be healed. They preached repentance unto salvation. They cast out devils. There was a manifestation of the power of God. In Matthew chapter 10, in the same account, Jesus said, Heal the sick, cleanse the lepers, raise the dead, cast out devils, freely you've received, and freely give. What a gospel we have. He commanded them that they should take nothing for their journey. There's a song it's called Take I wouldn't take anything or nothing from a journey now. It's normally sang by millionaires. Just take a staff. That's all you're going to need. In a practical sense, I want you to take a staff, but don't take a script or don't take bread or don't take money in your purse. He also repeated this in the next mission that we read off in Luke chapter 10 where he sends out 70 and he said to them there also in verse 4, don't carry a purse, don't carry script, and don't have shoes and don't salute no man by the way. I just want you to go. I just want you to go and preach repentance, cast out devils. We've seen they've come a far way away from the initial. <coughs> C.T. Studd said these words. He inherited something like 25 million pounds and gave it all away to follow the Lord Jesus Christ. He gave it all away. He married a girl from Belfast. And after being a missionary out in China and India, 50 years old, he was, he was ill, he was unwell. He's seen a sign advertised one day, cannibals are looking missionaries. Cannibals are looking missionaries. I wonder how many are going. And so being ill and coming before the board in order that he would be sent and some people said that they would hopefully support him in his endeavors to go to Africa but when they got the doctor's report of his physical condition, they pulled out and he had no support. And what did the man of God do? He went anyway. C.T. Studd said these words, God is, not, is, is, God is looking faith and fools rather than talent and culture. All God wants is a heart. Any old turnip will do for a head. So long as we are empty, all is well. For then he fills with the Holy Ghost. Any turnip heads? Here's an old turnip head. He's looking faith and fools rather than talent and culture. Don't carry a purse or script or shoes. Just take a staff. The script, of course, is a little leather pouch for carrying some resources. And he says, I don't want to even to take that with you. I know there's man bags and all the rest of it today. The day you see me in a man bag, somebody shoot me. <laughs> Please do it. I beg you. <laughs> That's all right. If you have one, I'm not. <laughs> I'm going to fall out with you. I still can't get it. I'm from a different world. The day I see Stephen next to my mom bag, I tell you, boy. 
<laughs> you too, brother. <laughs> Don't take anything. No natural resource, no spurs, no, no backup, no, no plan B. Everything that you're going to need for the journey, he's teaching them a valuable lesson. Everything that you're going to need for the journey, you're going to find it in me. Don't take any bread for the journey. But Lord, we're going out on a mission trip. We need bread. We need some type of resource. Don't take any bread for everything that I want you to understand is that I am, I am that bread of life. I don't want you to gather up money for the mission. Most missions today are the first thing that will come to the fore is we need to gather up some funds. I'm not saying these things are wrong. I think the Lord was, I believe the Lord was trying to instill in that early church that everything of what they're going to need for this life is going to be found in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. Don't take money with you for trade, for living, for the rainy day, for the nest egg, for the little backup, just in case things go wrong. I want you to just go, and I want you to know that I'm going to be your resource and your source for everything. Do you see the invaluable lesson that the Lord was teaching the early church? Do you see what He was trying to instill within that early, early group of men that He'd called together, fishermen, ignorant and unlearned? Do you see what truths, what, what gospel truths, what eternal truths He was trying to birth in their heart because He would gather these men together to reach, listen to this, to reach the entire world with the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, 12 men. Twelve men. And the valuable lesson, invaluable lesson that he was trying to instill, and I think there's a call for us in the 21st century church with everything of what we have. Can you imagine if we're going on a mission and you say, now don't bring more than one coat. Can you imagine the wardrobes that come and everything that goes with it just for a, for a trip on a mission trip, but just don't take anything. Can you imagine if he says, don't take more than one pair of shoes or sandals? Our cupboards are bursting. Our wardrobes are filled. What will I wear? That's not me, by the way, but what will I wear? I don't want you to take anything for this journey. Everything that you're going to need in the journey, you're going to find in me. Every resource... For the gospel is first of all and foremost found in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. Every practicality of the journey and every mountain that you'll face and every obstacle that you'll come up against, I'm going to be your answer. I will provide. I am your only source. Now, how did the mission go? What was the outcome? It's good to know what, what, what the outcome was. If that's what the first mission was, how did they, how did they get on? Well, thank God that the Bible tells us how they got on. If you turn over to Luke chapter 22, and we often just stop at verse 34, but I want you to go right through to verse 35. But Luke 22 and verse 31, the Lord said to Simon these amazing words, Simon, Simon, Satan has desired to have you, that he might sift you as wheat. But I have prayed for thee that thy faith fail not, and when thou art converted to strengthen your brothers, and he said unto him, Lord, I'm ready to go with thee to prison and to death. And he said, I tell you, Peter, the cock shall not crow this day before thou shalt thrice deny that thou knowest me. And he said unto them, When I sent you without purse, script, and shoes, lacked ye anything? What a question. He brings Peter back to this moment where Peter is about to fail him. Peter's about to deny him. And yet Peter's still boasting in his own strength and his own ability. And he's saying, listen, Lord, I'm ready to go to prison and I'm even ready to die. And then the Lord asked the question of him, when I sent you without purse, script, and shoes, lacked ye anything? And what did they say? And they said, nothing. We never lacked in any way. 
We didn't lack finances. We didn't lack resources. We didn't lack clothing. We didn't lack a roof over our head. We didn't lack anything in the mission, Lord. Everything of what we needed and everything that was required, you never failed us. That's what they're saying. Has God ever failed us? He's a God that cannot lie, and He's a God that cannot fail. He's an amazing God. It's worth trusting the Lord, isn't it? Even in the darkest of night, in the darkest of valley, in the most difficult of circumstances, can I tell you, friend, there's one that you can trust and never fail you. His name's Jesus. Now, any old turnip head can believe that. It's just a heart that knows when the Lord is bringing to their memory and bringing to their heart. He's saying, listen, have you ever lacked? And they said, Nothing. This word means, the word lack means to become destitute, to suffer need, to become worse than what we were, to become to a place of being inferior. Have we lacked in any way? Brothers and sisters, we have never lacked. The Bible says in Philippians 4 and 19, my God shall supply all your need according to, according to His riches and glory by Christ Jesus. There's a resource of heaven this morning. That so often we don't draw upon, we're still trying to exhaust our natural resources, our own intellectual ways, and our own means to, to reach the goal. But friends, this morning there's a bounty in heaven made possible through the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ and the finished work of Calvary that we can come to a table this morning. This table represents a table that is full of blessings and the, pur and the purposes of God and the provision of Calvary. And so often we don't turn to the resource or the source. His name's Jesus. He says, I want you to take just one thing just for your journey. I don't believe it's a coincidence. I don't believe it's a mistake. He says, take nothing but just, just a staff. Just take a staff. It's a, it's a beautiful thing, isn't it? Just a simple staff for your journey. I was nearly going to phone Adrian to see if he's any, any shepherd staffs in the house. Just a simple stick, a wooden structure, not of any attraction in any way. I know they make them very polished and varnished and fancy today, but just back in the, the Bible days, it was just a stick in some ways with a shepherd's hook maybe at the top. But just take this on your journey, man. This is everything that you need. I'll be your source. I'll be your power. I'll be your answer. I'll work through you. I'll work with you. But just take the staff. You know in Scripture, of course, that the staff is so many symbols or, or represents so many things. The Bible tells us if you follow a few of these in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 21, you're going to need the staff. In Hebrews 11, verse 21, it says there, By faith Jacob, when he was dying, blessed both the sons of Joseph and worshipped, leaning upon his staff. Just a stick, here's an old man now. Touched by the power of God in his early lives, had a bit of a limp in some ways and had this staff in his walk and he's a dying man and he's leaning upon that staff. And I want to tell you, brothers and sisters, if you want to walk with the Lord Jesus Christ, you're going to know who you need to lean on. The Bible tells us in Proverbs 4 and verse 3, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Then what does it say? Lean not on your own understanding and all your ways acknowledge him, what's he going to do? Anybody need direction? Are you leaning on your own understanding? Are you leaning, are you leaning on Jesus? Are you leaning on the eternal promises of God? Are you leaning on Him for your walk? Are you trusting Him daily? Are you walking by the Savior's side? Are you walking in the Spirit that you don't fulfill the lust of the flesh? Are you leaning on Him? The church needs to lean on Jesus. We need to lean on Him. We need to know what it is to leave our own understanding, but to lean on the Lord. We can lean on Him. And see, when you lean on Him, just like Jacob here, there's the blessings of the Lord begin to flow. He blessed His sons because He was leaning on the staff. You need to be able to lean on the Lord. In the Exodus chapter 4, if you go over to it in the old Exodus chapter 4, we find a man at the back of a wilderness 
And in some ways, he had thought that God had forgot him, that God had abandoned him, that through his own failures, yet the call of God was strong upon his life. The callings and the giftings of God are without repentance, and even in failure, even in wandering, even in a time of a wilderness for 40 years, God meets him at the back end of a desert. And there he stands, and in Exodus 4 and 2, the Lord said to him, What is in thy hand? And he said, A rod. Now in the Hebrew, it's the word where we get staff. And here's a man standing. It seems as though that God had abandoned him on the outward of it all. And maybe he felt that even in his own heart. But friends, I thank God this morning for the mercies of God, that he doesn't abandon us, that he doesn't forsake us, that the purposes of God are real. And yet in all of it, he goes through a period of time where it seems that it's been a wilderness. And since this morning, maybe you're in a time where it just feels like a bit of a wilderness. But I want to assure you this morning, God is not finished. God is not finished. What does he meet this man with? He's been stripped of everything. He had the riches of Egypt. He had the intellect and all the abilities of Egypt all around him, and God has taken all of that way. Take nothing for your journey, Moses. You don't need the wealth of Egypt. You don't need the riches of man. You don't need the acclaim and the accolades of man. What have you got in your hand? I've just got a staff. He says, I'm sending you on a journey. I'm just paraphrasing a bit. I'm going to send you in to Egypt because there's a mighty deliverance. I've heard the cry of my people. Oh, Lord, what are you sending me with? We have no army. We have no riches. We have no wealth. He says, Moses, you trust me, but you just take that staff and you go in. Now I'll give you iron, but I want to tell you, Moses, I'm going to be with you because I'm here to set my people free. The man comes walking into Egypt. See, God's ways aren't our ways. God's ways aren't... We have come so far. We have come so far. You see a man, the same man after coming out of Egypt, the Lord bringing that mighty deliverance. You see the staff, the old staff trusting in Him and Him alone. Remember we just said it. Trust in the Lord with all your heart, lean not in your own understanding, in all your ways acknowledge, in all your ways acknowledge Him. He will... What does He do? He directs a path. But I don't see a way forward. But I tell you, let's get the hold of the staff again. Exodus chapter 14 and verse 16, we see a man standing at the Red Sea. And the Lord says, Now lift up your rod. Exodus 14, 16, Stretch out thine hand over the sea and divide it, and the children of Israel shall go on dry ground through the midst of the sea. God makes a way when there is no way. Not by might, not by power, but by His Spirit, but who you trusting and who you leaning on. And we lean on our own understanding. We can't see a way forward. We can't see a way through. But if you trust in Him, if you learn to lean on Jesus, let me tell you, friends, He makes a way when there is no way. He was just holding that old staff. You know, when you need, in the midst of the sorest of battles, and warfare that we're in today as a church, we're in a spiritual warfare. You need to know what that old staff represents because that staff's going to bring you the means in which you can have a victory in your life. If you turn over to 1 Samuel chapter 17, we often talk about David and a sling. But what we don't often see is in verse 40, just before he gathered up those stones and without to face that giant, in 1 Samuel 17 and 40, if you turn over to it, it says that he, this is David, that he took his staff in his hand and chose him five smooth stones out of the brook. Listen, friends, he needed that staff. That staff was necessary in order that he would poke into that river and gather together those stones. And I want to tell you, the Holy Ghost will always lead us into truth and bring us into victory and show us that there is a way, that there are weapons of our warfare, that they're mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. But he used that staff. It's not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, saith the Lord. It was the same man, David, in Psalm 23, and you know it well, he said, The Lord's my shepherd. I shall not want. 
He maketh me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters. He restoreth my soul. He leadeth me in the paths of righteousness for His name's sake. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for Thou art with me. Thy rod and Thy staff, what do they do? They comfort me. What type of the Holy Ghost? A comforter. Warfare. Direction. Blessing. Your walk. Your strength. How we need to lean on Jesus, friends. How we need to lean on Jesus. The staff, of course, also speaks of that which is the strength, even the strength of a nation. The Scriptures speak of the, the staff being broken. In Ezekiel chapter 5 and verse 15, we read there in, in that Scripture that the Lord is going to bring judgment upon the nation. It shall be a reproach and a taunt. Ezekiel 5 and 15, astonishment to the nations that are round about thee when I shall execute judgments in thee in anger and in fury and in furious rebukes. I, the Lord, have spoken it when I shall send upon them evil arrows of famine which shall be for their destruction and I will send send to destroy you and I will increase the famine upon you and I will break your staff of bread. Brothers and sisters, I want to say this morning, that the God will bring the judgment upon the nations. And he'll break their staff of bread. Oh, with mighty armies, with all the weapons, with all our nuclear, nuclear abilities, with all our tanks, we've got all our armies lined up to try and do this and do that. I want to tell you, friends, when a nation forgets God, it's going to be turned into hell. God will break the strength of that nation. Let me tell you what's happening to the United Kingdom. The United Kingdom is being humbled by an almighty God. Doesn't sit well with us, but it's the truth. Staff has been steadfast aid and symbol of everything what is needed for the journey of the saint. Your walk, your warfare, the blessing, the comfort, the protection. There's so much more. I want to ask this morning just a really simple question. This is the title. What happens? What happens? When the staff fails, I want to tell you, Jesus never fails, ever. Never fails. But what happens when it would seem that your staff has failed? I'm going to repeat this. The Lord has never failed and never will fail. But I'm talking about you as an individual when it seems as though it's failed. I want to take you to account this morning, 2 Kings chapter 4 where the staff failed. There's a house here that we're going to look into for a moment and not go through the whole story just for time's sake, but there's a house that we're going to get a glimpse into that woke one morning to a, a tremendous storm. They weren't expecting it. They didn't look for it. They didn't ask for it, but a storm visited a home. There was a precious son in this house and this precious son had been given to this couple, this precious couple by God as a precious gift. And that morning we find that this little boy, this young man, has died and he's laid upon the prophet's bed. What a storm. Unimaginable. Words can't express it unless you've ever been there, but we just read it in the story. There's a cry in that house. There's a cry beyond the realms of, I think, the natural. There's a cry that comes up from the depths of the heart of this little Shunammite woman. She gathers together. If you turn to verse 24 and just read it from there, pick up the story. She saddled an ass and said to her servant, Drive, go forward, slack not from riding for me, except I bid thee. In other words, she is now urgent. There's actually a stirring in her heart. There's a, there's, no one is going to stop this woman. There's something of, of an awakening in her life. The circumstances have brought something within her that she must get to the prophet. And she went and came unto the man of God at Mount Carmel. And it came to pass when the man of God saw her afar off, he said to Gehazi, the servant, Behold, is that the Shunammite woman? Is that her coming? Run now, I pray thee, to meet her and say to her, Is it well? Is it, is it well with thy husband? Is it well with thy child? And she answered it as well. And when she came to the man of God to the hill, she, she caught him by the feet 
And Gehazi came to thrust her away, and the man of God said, Leave her alone, her soul is vexed within her, and the Lord hath hid it from me, and hath not told me. Then she said, Did I desire a son of my Lord? Did I not say, Do not deceive me? What a story. What an account. Here's a woman. You see, friends, I want to tell you something. There's something that has to happen in the church of Jesus Christ in these last moments of time, which I believe we're in the last moments of time, but there's something has to happen. What happened in this woman has to happen in the church of Jesus Christ. There has to be awakening to the need of the hour. There has to be a stirring. I know we can't create it. We're not trying to. I know it's not going to come through a thousand sermons. I understand that it's not going to come through just, just getting together and trying to do something. But we find here that this woman is awakened by a storm that's come. And I, know, I believe for the most part, there are many, and of course this crowd with the exception, there are many just are not even, even familiar or interested in where we are or the time is short, that the Christ is coming, that hell's eternal, that heaven's sure. There are many just asleep and going to church and going through religion. This woman awoke. There was something in this woman. Nothing's going to stop her. There's an urgency in her heart. There's a trial in her life. There's a storm that has come. There's clouds that have gathered. It's beyond just the realms of just the natural. Here's a woman now has to get to the prophet. There's no one going to stop her. She gets the servant. She says to him, let's go. Don't stop for anyone unless I bid you, but I need you to get me to the prophet. I need you to get to the man of God. I need you to get to that Mount Carmel. Don't hold back. Just pursue as fast and as hard as you can. Friends, there has to be something happen in the church of Jesus Christ today that stirs its heart to the need of the hour. The, the disinterest, never mind the world, they're lost, they're blind, they have no hope. They, they, they're, they're hardened, they can't see, they're dead. So there's not going to be a stern amongst them. But friends, when the church is so apathetic and so lethargic to the need of the hour, and here she comes. You see the prophet sitting on Mount Carmel, and he looks out yonder and he says, the Gehazi, is that the Shunammite? He recognizes something's not right. He's able to see. It takes, it takes eyes of the prophet to be able to see, to be able to understand something's not right. Gehazi, the Lord hasn't shown it to me. It's, it's hid from me, but I see her coming. And by the way she's coming, there's a determination. And the way she's coming, there's something different. You know when you know and when someone's coming towards you, you know in what form or what sense they're coming. He was able to tell something's not right here. Something's wrong. There's some Gehazi, go and see what's wrong with this woman. And Gehazi, the servant, runs to her and says, It's all well. She says, Everything's fine, but I need to get to him. Too often we're stopped at this point in the pursuit of getting an answer from the Lord by simply talking it over. And trying to go through all the realms of just talking about something, there has to be a pressing through into that realm of the Spirit where we lay hold of the Lord. We can talk more about it. We can message more about it. We can Facebook more about it. We can send pictures about it. But friends, it's going to take someone to press through into God. Is that the Shunammite? She gets to the prophet. She falls down at his feet and she lays hold of his feet. We need to get to the throne of grace and lay hold of nail-pierced feet. We need to, need to get to a place where we just can't say, well, that's the way it's going to be. It's just wreck and ruin. It's just brokenness and heartache. It's just backward children and, and backslidden children. It's just prodigals gone. It's just homes broken. It's just our nation ruined. It's just that's the way it's supposed to run because we're in the last days. I want to tell you, friends, the effectual and the fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. There's a prayer. There's a pressing. There's a stirring. There's something of the Spirit of God gets into our hearts and we say, God, don't leave us like this. Hell's real, friends. Hell's a real place. And multitudes are marching into hell. Multitudes. And for the most part, nobody really cares. 
that son you gave me, what have you done to me? Imagine this. The prophet sitting on the mountain. Imagine her boldness. It might come across even as brash. It might even come across. That's why Gehazi reacted. She just lays a hold of him and Gehazi gets up and says, don't you touch the prophet like that. Don't you press. You have a little bit of respect. I want to tell you, friends, does God not avenge his own elect to cry on them both day and night? Shall he not send forth victory on the judgment? Is there not a cry because of the desperate hour we're in? Is there not a cry for our sons and our daughters? Is there not a cry for our broken homes? Is there not a cry for our nation? The prophet says to Gehazi, you go. Gehazi, go. Take my staff and lay it upon the boy's face. Gehazi the servant, it says in verse 29, Gehazi, gird up your loins, take the staff in thy hand, go thy way. If you meet any man, salute him not. This is similar words to the Lord. If any salute thee, answer him not. Lay the staff upon the face of the child. And the mother of the child said, As the Lord liveth, as my soul liveth. Listen to this. I'm not going to leave you, prophet. I'm not leaving you. But I'm sending Gehazi. He's got my staff. He has my word. He'll do what I tell him to do. And she said, I'm not leaving this place. And he arose and followed her. Now verse 31 says, Gehazi passed on before them. And Gehazi done exactly what, the Lord, what, what his Lord had said. The prophet laid the, the staff upon the face of the child. And look what it says. But there was neither voice nor hearing. Wherefore he went again to meet him and told him, saying, This child is not awaked. This was the prophet's staff. This was Gehazi obeying the word of the prophet. This was an outward working of everything of what was required. Friends, are many times, maybe like in this sense, that you've done everything that you believe is right and according to the word, the outward expression of all of that, the, the function of all of that. Do you understand what I'm saying? That we go through the, the right mode, if, as it were, we, we, we do what we're told to do. We're in obedience to the Word. We're laying it all out before the Lord. We lay our staff upon our circumstances, but it's still dead. We lay them upon our homes, but it's still dead. We lay them upon the sick, but they're still sick. We lay them into that world, but it's still the same. We lay it all out, even though He said that you'll cast out devils and that you'll, that you'll pray for the sick and they'll recover. And yet we take our staff, and that might be a type of maybe how religious we've become because the form is right. It's not that the form is wrong. We have the form, and we take our staff, and whatever label we have on our staff, whether it be Pentecostal or Baptist or Presbyterian or, or whatever, whatever, whatever uh, doctrine that we hold to, in what way we see it, and we, we take that down. We've got our doctrine right, and so we'll lay our doctrine on that which is dead, and friends, it remains dead. The staff feels, oh, but we're doing everything right. We become so religious that we have a form of godliness, but we deny the living power of God. This woman wasn't going to settle for religion. She wasn't going to settle just for a form of Pentecost. Just a form of it. We have the form of it that it looks right, that it sounds right, but we're, we need the power of a living God. And we can have that in friends, those Wednesday night meetings where we can have a name that we live, but we're dead. You has a name that you're living, but you're dead. And I can preach a thousand sermons. And a thousand sermons, of course, faith comes by hearing, hearing by the Word of God. But if it doesn't go beyond your intellect, I have my intellectual understanding. And I have my interpretation of what I believe. And I will lay my staff upon that boy. But I want to tell you, friends, this morning, it requires the living, almighty power of God. We lay out our staffs. We get ourselves on the road for a few years and we become so proud of the little staff that we've got. God's looking a couple of turnip heads. 
God's looking a couple of turnip heads. That might offend some, but He's still looking turnip heads that have a heart that's going to believe God, that are fools for Jesus. I can see Gehazi going in the door. I've got the prophet's staff. I've got the word from the prophet. I have all the tradition. I have all my ideas. I have all my ideologies. I have all my thoughts. I have everything. Sometimes it can be tradition. We've done it this way for years and we lay it all out upon that. But friends, it's still dead. It's still dead. Pentecostals are the worst for it. We can jump and run around the room, but it's still dead. Tradition's terrible. We can all stand like corpses, but it's still dead. And I believe the greatest cry of our young believers is, we won't see reality. I believe the cry of our young, I tell you, all our young people, their lives will be transformed when they enter into the reality of the living power of God. So many can come with their staff. Did you bring your staff this morning? Did you bring your staff? You come in this morning with your staff. It took 40 years in a wilderness to get everything out of Moses so that God could put in him and all he ever needed was him, God alone. There's a humble, broken man. I believe he's a broken man. Meek. Nuri walks in to Egypt before the great throne of Pharaoh with nothing but just a staff. It's amazing, isn't it? Well, I think if we change things about, and I don't, I don't agree with the pastor in this church. You know, he's a nice fella, but he's, you know, and I think if we'd done it this way, or if we'd done it this way, you know, if we, if we loosen things up, you know, he's... He's a wee bit sort of caught in the old. Have we become so foolish? Has the church become so naive? Have we thought that moving the furniture about and changing a few things, that that's going to bring the power of God? My God, this morning, where have we come to? May God bring a great humility to our hearts a breaking down of everything of what we are and what we want. Because, friends, the greatest cancer that we have today is the form, but without the power. But this wee woman knew something. Sorry, maybe she wasn't wee, but I just feel she is. This wee woman had something. She knew something. See, friends, do you, is there something in your heart? I believe it is in our hearts. We maybe not express it. Maybe I can't express it right. Maybe it's not theologically all coming out with the T's crossed in the eye. But there's something in the heart that says, God, we can't stay like this. We can't remain like this. Lord, there's a world that's dying. There's lives that are ruined. There's people even in this room going through the most difficult of circumstances. And we have a staff. That staff is the Holy Ghost. And Lord, we need the power of God. This woman knew the son, the son that was given to her, that the only way, you see, this is really important as I'm closing. We can't separate the work from the person. That's what it was all about. Do you understand what I'm saying? You can't separate the work from the person. Oh, I'm involved in the work of the Lord. I'm doing what He calls me to do. But you can't separate the work from the person. And when you separate the work from the person, do you know what we have? We have a staff that doesn't work. We have a staff that won't work. We do all the right things. We preach what we're supposed to preach. We do what we're supposed to do. We, we lay hands on the sick. We go out. We do, we do all that thing. But friends, unless the person's involved, because he's the one that brings life. Is he not the one that brings life? The thief comes but for the steal, kill, destroy, but I've come that you might have life and life more abundant. Here's the danger. We get the staff and we separate the staff from the person this woman knew. Listen, this woman knew. I'm going to tell you, prophet, Alicia, you listen to me. You're coming to my house and you're going to breathe life into that boy. 
because I'm not going to rest until you come to my home and that life comes into my home. I'm not going to let you sit on this mountain. I'm asking you to come down into my home. Can I tell you, friends, we serve a God that comes down. He comes way down. I tell you, He came away down for me 30 years ago this year. He came away down. And He still comes down, doesn't He? This woman had something that I believe the church needs. She possessed something. Circumstances was created in her life. But I believe in this woman, this is what the church needs today. We are not going to settle for a form. We are not going to settle with a, for a staff without the life or just a form of religion. Friends, this nation has enough religion. It's had religion for years, and there's too much of it, especially in the north here. We need a visitation of the living reality of the power of a risen Christ. What does He do when He comes? He sets people free that are demon-possessed. But we don't have any demons in Ireland. They're just in India and Africa. Could I tell you, friends, when Africa and many parts of Africa experience revival power and seeing the demonstration of the kingdom of God, this nation is being flooded. The gates have been opened and there's a manifestation and a night porn of demonic power and people all around us are filled with the devil and need set free. Anyone say Amen. amen. If the sun sets you free, free indeed. If you're tormented, broken, ruined, suicidal, could I tell you something this morning? There's a man here. It's not this man, but there's a man called Jesus in this room can set you free. This woman knew I needed to get a hold of him. Not only get a hold of him, but I need him to come to my house. Anybody need Jesus in their home? Anybody need Jesus in their house? It's all right to say yes, praise the Lord. I want Jesus in my house, praise the Lord. Not embarrassed to say it. I want Jesus in my home. I want Jesus in my family. I want Jesus in this church. I want Jesus. Oh, I'm not ashamed to say that. For I need him. Oh, I need him. Sometimes the greatest miracles happen. The greatest interventions happen just after the greatest tragedies have taken place. Just after the greatest tragedies have taken place. It creates something in the human heart that on the running, normal running of things is never created. And God in His eternal purposes, which someone asked me a question the other day, why? Would God let anyone suffer? I answered, I don't know. But I know we do. You see, if I can answer all the questions, and I might be able to give some answers, but what I know is that when I've seen so many close believers suffer, I've also seen a demonstration of the amazing grace of God in their life. Mm -hmm. The thing about it is, they often haven't seen it. God's grace is sufficient. It's amazing, isn't it? It's amazing grace, isn't it? So something of a disturbance in our hearts. Somehow. That creates a cry like this woman. I can't do it. It creates a cry in a heart that says, Lord, I need to get to you. I need to lay hold of those feet. That's a great place to be, friend. If we can humble ourselves enough to get ourselves low at the feet of Jesus. But you're coming to my house. And I see this prophet and that woman rushing ahead of him. The man of God's coming. You make way and let him into this room. 
That man of God walked into that room and he didn't put his staff on the boy. He put himself on the boy. And you know, that's exactly what Jesus has done in every room, every life in this room that's saved. He gave his life for us. And he breathed into us new life. New life is mine. Many people need him like this woman. I'm asking you again, how many people need him like this woman? Is it that desperate? I believe it is for some. Maybe not for all, but there's a desperate cry. You need to come to my house. I want to tell you, friends, this morning, what a faithful Savior. He's more than willing to come. If you had opened the door of your hearts and let him in, what a Savior. Life. Not just the staff. Don't separate the staff from the person. We need the life of God. God, would you stir our hearts? Would you stir this church, Lord? Would you stir us, Lord? We know we can't create that. But I'm asking this morning, Lord, even for the needs that there are before us, Lord, in the name of Jesus, would you visit this house, Lord, in revival power, in the abundant life, in the resurrection life, you set people free, even here this morning. Lord, there's people in this room need set free. Lord, I thank you, you're more than able to do it. There's people in this room need healed. Lord, you're more than able to do it. There's people in this room are backslidden. Lord, would you restore them? Restore the joy of their salvation. Thank you, Lord, there's still a fountain filled with blood. Thank you, there's mercy. Lord, there's people in this room that are troubled in their mind. Lord, I pray, you're the one that brings peace. Oh, I just pray the Prince of Peace, the wonderful Savior, the fullness of Jesus would be manifested in this house, Lord. Lord, we don't want to lay staffs and everything stays the same. We need the person of Jesus. Oh, God, this morning, would you move in hearts in this room? Glorify your name. Lord, I pray for a disturbance in our hearts in prayer like this woman. Lord, help us to see beyond our own little sphere. Lord, there's a world that's dying without Christ. Lord, we pray this morning, would you find hearts of faith, people that are willing to be fools for Jesus, Lord, you're everything. Have your way this morning, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. David, Jonathan, would you come? Praise the Lord.